Good morning, everybody. How's that? We're getting there. Wherever that there is, we're getting. Man, Sheldon, that was nice, eh? Eh, strong. That was good. That was good. And Kareen, I mean, I've, uh, that was awesome because I've never, I've never looked at it myself that way. So thank you. That was really lovely. We appreciate that. Hallelujah. Are you guys excited to be here? Man, just close your eyes for one, not second, few seconds. And uh, just connect to your heart inside. All I want you to see is Christ living inside of you. I just want you to see his life. I want you to see his power, his resurrection power. And I want you to see that out of those two, suddenly you are experiencing the light, which is the knowledge, the wisdom, and the understanding of God. Do you just see it with your own personal pictures or descriptions, just the way you want to see it, doesn't matter. But just see it inside of you. Allow it to permeate every part of your being. And just say, this is eternity. This is how eternity looks like. And I am willing to bring it into different segments of my personal time. I am willing and I'm able because I choose to. And in every situation... I will express the sense of Christ in me, the eternal now into every circumstance and every area of my life. And just say, now, Holy Spirit, I give this to you, this truth that is in the word. And thank you that I will experience your empowerment in every area of my life. I open my heart to be teachable this morning. I'm willing to surrender my opinion to your opinion, Father. And I thank you that whatever you teach me, it's because for my good and for the benefit of other people. I thank you, Lord, I'm obedient. I'm yielded to you. Thank you that you never leave me. You never forsake me and you never disappoint me because I've just felt you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, remember last week we started, oh man, thank you so much. We started explaining, I'm sorry, I just couldn't finish uh, last week what I wanted to say, but we'll definitely cover it today, that no matter, no matter where we find ourselves in, in our lives, we have to continuously um, adjust to and harmonize ourselves with God's word, God's spirit, and especially the truth of the resurrection power of God. In other words, what Jesus has done through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So those are the truths that I need to and you need to establish ourselves, establish our hearts. We need to, in other words, I love those in Psalm 1 which says we need to be rooted. Now remember, to be rooted, you, you, you become immovable. You can't be rooted suddenly in one place. And the next minute, you're looking at other things to be able to draw your strength, to draw, you know, your wisdom from. You know, continuously, I need to stay connected 
to Jesus. That's why he says, remain in me. See, this is the discipline that you and I need to bring ourselves to that continuously we need to be aware. What am I thinking? What are the feelings, excuse me, that are coming up in me or emerging within me that is contrary to who God says he is, to who God says I am? And immediately the Bible says, and that is the 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 battle the warfare that we have today it's 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 the battle to whether i'm going to yield to my past whether i'm going to yield to the desires or the lusts of the flesh whether i'm going to yield to the will system and what it's offering or i'm going to yield to the kingdom of god i'm going to yield to god himself and who he says he is who is faithful, who never changes, and I'm going to stay connected to the finished work of Jesus. I mean, this is what should be going through in our minds continuously. Because if we let ourselves go, we will reach certain places where even God can't deliver us. Not that he doesn't want to, and that's what we're going to see today. Not that he doesn't want to, but we brought ourselves because of our disobedience and because of our corrupt thinking and lifestyle and religious sometimes uh, stinking thinking as they call it, we bring ourselves to situations um, and I'll tell you why we keep bringing ourselves in those situations because we are bullheaded. We want to stay right and that's where that ego comes in and that's what we're going to see with Saul here. He is the epitome of what it is to be in ego as a king. And once we, you know, uh, embrace ourselves to what the will system is offering, we will experience that chaos, that destruction in our lives. And God is there talking to us, willing to bring us up. But you know what? You have destroyed so many people around you. God says, those people will not allow me to bring you to where you need to go. Because I can't override the people's will. And they are holding on to those grudges. It's not that I haven't forgiven you. But in the environment that you are in right now, and the destruction that you have brought into their lives, because of your liberal thinking, They, not me, they will not allow your life to experience a blessing. Now, that doesn't mean that inside of you, you're not going to have the victories. You can stay in situations that are unsavory. You can be in situations that obviously, you know, you can't change and God can't change. Because remember, it's not always the outcome. It's what you experience on the inside. Righteousness, peace, and joy can still be experienced. You can still have that victory on the inside. I mean, if you've gone through seven divorces and uh, you've had, uh, I don't know how many kids, yeah, it is a bit of a problem, isn't it? The thing that we have created so we can't expect maybe if they're going to follow God and they're going to begin to experience, um, uh, you know, the forgiveness of God in their own hearts, they will say, well, yeah, let me forgive that person. Well, that's good. But what about if most people who don't want to follow God as believers don't want to do that? And those are the situations we need to remember. I mean, I went yesterday because my daughter, my eldest daughter was, was doing um, CrossFit here in Monte Cassino. They're having one of these big, um, what do they call those things? Yeah, the battle of the, the Titans or the battle of whatever. Anyway, so, I mean, I'm sitting there. And you know, every time I go anywhere, whether it's business, whatever, I first always prepare myself, you know, 
Christ in me. I'm going to face these type of people. What type of people are these people? People who worship their body. Okay, great. So, when I get there, they're going to basically try to show me what it's really like for them to have this type of body and what type of fulfillment that they're having. You know, they're going to try to convince everybody around them. And how am I going to feel about what these people, that environment is saying to me, you know? So all I do, well, I've been doing it for a, for a long time. So for me, it's very easy. All I do is just connect with him. I've got a specific, a specific uh, pressure point, if you want to call it. And my pressure point is this. When I do this, take my middle finger and just press here immediately when I, I've been in my heart, I, I just get, man, overwhelmed with the life of God. What you guys just experienced now, if you did it. And just suddenly, I am start reacting to what I'm feeling. I'm not reacting to what they're saying to me, what their body's saying, what their feelings are. No, no, I'm reacting to me. And as I begin to do that, I get this joy that comes into my heart. And it overflows. I was with Ethan, you know. And, uh, you know, we're sitting there. And, I, and I'm, as I'm sitting there, I just begin to see how these people are basically idol worshippers. You know. I begin to see that ego that we've been talking about. And witchcraft, which is basically just bowing down to what I'm presenting here. I begin to see the way that they sort of competing is how they're punishing themselves. They don't know that. The things that they've gone through, they're just punishing it's almost a religion for flagellation, asceticism. That's their religion, you see. But people don't, <laughs> they created this God. And they're punishing their body to extends. That is, I mean, it's not natural what's happening here. It's not natural. But they are punishing themselves for things that they have done in the past, their own conscience. And you sit and you watch that. I'm telling you, while you are experiencing the life of God in you, while you're experiencing this deep-seated peace and joy, and then you suddenly, it comes up, it just tells you, begin to see them that way. Begin to see them the way you're feeling, now you begin to see them that way. And as I began looking around and seeing people, that way I began to see who was ready. Who was ready? Man, I wish I had a team with me. We would have taken people there for the Lord so quickly. You know why? Because my eyes, for the first time, saw and understood what Jesus said. The fields are white unto harvest. And I could see who was and who wasn't at that moment. Why? Because I brought my heart to that specific position to see with his eyes. The minute I saw with his eyes, I perceived who was ready. What a lesson for me. So we can, what am I saying with this? We can only perceive what the Holy Spirit wants to do in people and we'll know the timing. 
when we bring ourselves to see them with the eyes of God, with his love, when we superimpose the end of them experiencing Christ in them, having the same joy, the same love, experiencing themselves free from the bondage of being a slave to the lusts of the flesh. So when God was bringing Israel out of Egypt, as I said last week, now in this whole process in the wilderness, he's trying to get them to trust him. That's it. They don't want to trust him. They don't want to believe that he's really as good as he says he is. So God, let me read to you in, now listen to this. God gives specific things. Says, this is what I will do. In Exodus chapter 6 and verse 6, let me read it. This is what God says to you as well. Genesis 6 verse 6. It says the following. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. Oh, there you go. Um, let me read it here. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Number one. Number two. He says, I will rescue you. I will bring you, under, uh, bring you from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Number two. I will rescue you from their bondage. Number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will, and the judgments are yes to the promises, no to the curses, by the way, just in case. I will take you as my people. Number four, I will be your God. This is verse seven. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, the burdens of the will system. And I will bring you into a land which I swore. I, he's telling the guys who died in the wilderness to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and notice, and I will give it to you as a heritage He's talking about a blessing, an inheritance here. I am the Lord. This is what I am going to do. Now, if you don't believe in responsibility, then you think, well, God said it. I can sit down, do whatever I want to do, and God's going to get me there. That's called liberalism. That's when you find... When we talk about liberalism in the church I'm talking about, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about that nobody's taking the responsibility. God just says something and somehow supernaturally, the way they explain supernatural, um, without any sort of effort, we, we, you know, God has just chosen me. This thing's going to happen. But notice the paradox here is that it involves my will. It involves that I have to take the responsibility to believe what God has said in my heart so that I can allow, because if I don't believe it, then I can't be led. And allow God to lead me to possess what I already have. Possess my possessions. If I don't cooperate with God, I cannot inherit my inheritance. I can't go and possess what's already mine. I have to know that I've got to leave the mentality of a slave in Egypt and come into the understanding that I have sonship, I've got inheritance. This is my dad's. All I'm doing here 
as a good steward, I'm taking what he owns and me being and you being the son and daughters and all I'm doing, I'm going in to possess what is already mine. That's why he left me here. Now we possess it in our hearts. Only in the millennium we're going to possess it physically when he comes here. But now we need to possess it in our hearts. Yes, and it will manifest in areas of our lives physically. And that's called glorification. Remember, in uh, Romans 8.30, it tells us the person who has been justified, the person, in other words, who has been declared righteous, that's you and me. So legally, we've been declared by God righteous. Then notice he says he calls. Now, what does he mean that he's calling? Every time you read something in the word of God and it ignited you, he's calling you. Come, make this promise, make this word of God real in your heart. That's the calling which is a process which begins now where now you're separating yourself from the world, from what you've been taught, and you're becoming one with him. I'm called. I'm sanctified, it's called, in other words. And then you've been predestined. Here's your predestination. Here, righteousness, peace, and joy is in your heart through Jesus. So possess Jesus. That's what you've been predestined destined to make him real in your heart as an individual and then collectively as as the body of Christ so I'm predestined so for one purpose to be glorified what is glorification not just about simply getting a resurrection body that's the ultimate what is glory? The view and the opinion of God which is reality so that is the manifestation Notice of what I have possessed physically now in my own life so that the people may partake of the fruit that I'm producing and they'll know this is love. This is the real love of God. So this is what's happening here in the book of Exodus. And then we went through and I spoke to you that they came in the wilderness. And you see, why didn't, when they, you know, why was it this way that, that God and the children of Israel would not allow them, although there was a, a disbelief from them, but why wouldn't they go in? God, had, in other words, he, he made it in such a way that only when they trusted him, they would have the confidence to go in. Do you see that? Why, why did God do it that way? Well, because if he didn't do it that way, can you imagine going into the promised land as they were, and then they've got no confidence in God, and they have to go, you know, fight the giants. There's no way. They were, they, you know, with their own personal power, they had to connect to him, so when they were there, they experienced his power. You see, and if you don't experience God's power in your situation, then you're doing it under your own strength. And unfortunately, when we do things in our own strings, we experience defeat in our own lives. So they went in, they experienced the power of God. And they start taking and possessing their possessions. Now, the problem is, when they arrived, and I gave you all of those things, the names of, of the Canaanites and, 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 um, and what all they meant, which is part of your flesh as well, that you have to contend with, you know, when you're in and, and, and experiencing. Because remember, you will always have your flesh until you get your resurrection body. So even if you do possess your possessions, you will still have the flesh. Am I right? Okay, so that's what we're contending with. We're contending always with the flesh, the desires of the flesh. And also we're contending with the world system because we've created patterns in our hearts. And, and I explained that. I don't want to get, because then I, I won't finish again. So um, 
So they go through and, and we see in, in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 1 to 5 are those names that I gave you. Deuteronomy chapter 7, 1 to 5, all of those different nations. So they're going to possess, but the problem is they leave certain nations and um, that they did not defeat, number one, and they didn't drive them out. Now, you know why they, they did that? Because when they got in, and this is what happened to our lives, what happens to our lives. When we go in and we reach a certain um, stage of our lives where we were experiencing this ease, we're experiencing the prosperity, we're experiencing the success. By the way, there is demonic success and prosperity. Because whenever he says, notice, if it's from God, then he says there's no trouble with it. The minute you have trouble, that's called demonic prosperity. So don't sit there and someone else must tell you, you know, that any prosperity is from God. Any success, numbers and money is from God. It's not. Man, I was speaking with someone. Uh, I had a meeting this week, dean of a Bible school. And this is exactly what we were discussing. Who said that numbers and bums on seats is success? I'll tell you who does. The world system. <laughs> that is demonic. The Bible doesn't say that. When he says you'll know them by the fruit, what fruit? Bums on seats. Come on, guys. Wake up. This is where we need to smell the coffee. The Bible says the fruit is love. How that person, that pastor, whoever it is, loves his wife, his kids, how he treats his members. That's what you look at. So they go in. They possess the land, they reach a certain point of ease and abundance and prosperity. And guess what? They become laxy daisy. And when God tells them, okay, carry on, you've got to finish these campaigns that I've given you. I've told you exactly where the borders of the land are. You've got to drive them out, and a couple of these uh, nations, you need to exterminate them. And that's what we're going to see now in, in, in 1 Samuel. Please, Lord, let me get to 1 Samuel. My goodness. <laughs> so they don't do that for one reason. And that's what we're going to see. Hmm? One reason. Why take them all out? There's some nice ones here. Good animals. Strong man. Notice greed comes in. Greed. And because of greed now, because everything is at ease, experiencing abundance, we can use them as slaves. Look how strong they are. Why kill the animals, man? Poor animals. Bring, bring them here. You see, how are you, this is top of us, how are you justifying all this? in your life when God tells you kill it what do you do anything you justified is because of your greed and my greed and then we see we go to the book of Judges and we see the cycle that start taking place because of that prosperity that they've had And they give into the flesh. They intermarry. And the minute they intermarry, remember, just like the harlot in, um, in Revelation 17, exactly the same. When you go to, um, to the book of Proverbs, when you go to 1 Corinthians, Paul says, if I take my body 
Now, this is all symbolic. I mean, this is, this is amazing. If it says, if I take my body and I join it to a harlot, isn't it? We become one flesh. What does that mean, you become one flesh? Hey? Your chemistry of your body with theirs has made you a connection. By the way, there's no such a thing as soul ties. Forget it. All this rubbish that they've taught us. You don't get a soul tie. I'll tell you what you do get. You get tied to the emotion, what you felt. That's what happens. Not that other person. You, how you connected to what you enjoyed. It's you. So this is exactly what he's talking about here. And remember, all this is about ego. Because he's creating continuously an experience that you're going to back on whenever you're going to go out, especially in those brides, <laughs> and you start comparing, you know what I did. <laughs> you know what I've gone through. Hey, it can be the suffering that you went through, how bad yours was, or the enjoyment that you went through. That's ego, isn't it? Of course. So God is calling us to repent and to change our minds. And then we come to 1 Samuel. Uh, look at chapter 15. This is quite interesting. I love, guys, if you can go read the book of Samuel, especially Samuel 1. I mean, you will learn so much out of this. So, in chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord send me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, hid the voice of the words of the Lord. What are you talking about? Back in chapter 8, you said no. Now you're saying yes. This is God. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. Look at chapter 8. Let me just read it to you quickly. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges. Oh, don't do that. Just don't do that. <laughs> the pastor reaches a certain point. He's got a big church. And then he appoints the son. <laughs> hey, just don't do that. This is not a family thing. I just don't want to get to what's coming in my mind. Don't, don't, don't say it. Okay, and then he goes on and he, and he says um, in verse 5, Now make for us a king to judge. This is what the Israelites want. Notice, like all the nations. We, just, we don't want you, God. We want to be like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel in verse 6. So the Lord in verse 7 says to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Okay? So he says, listen. Now, man, we were just possessing the land back in Joshua. What happened? We're not interested. Look at your life. When I read these verses, always contemplate. Is my life taking that direction? Am I rooted and grounded in Christ daily? Am I reconnecting? Am I renewing? This is what revival is. Revival is not external. Don't listen to the people who are waiting for another wave. It's not coming. 
There's only one wave that started and you and I are supposed to yield and flow with it. Not God is going to start yielding to us. We're going to change God. And waiting for what? I need to renew my strength in him. So suddenly now in, in chapter 15, verse 1, we see here, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people of Israel. What do we learn here? We understand what sovereignty really means. That sovereignty is God is in control of himself. And you are a sovereign being and you decide what you want to do. Either you're going to follow God or you're going to follow the will system and your personal desires. That's what we see here in verse 1. And remember, why I'm saying this, because throughout, these are such important nuggets that you're hearing this morning. And God gave them over, Romans 1. To whatever they wanted, even if he knew it was destructive, he's not going to override your will. Second Thessalonians talks about, and, and that's the, 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 the he fell form in Aramaic, which is obviously translated in Greek by Paul, and he says, he sent them delusions. Okay? Now, the he is not the subject, but because of what they wanted, they embraced it in their own hearts and they experienced destruction. That's what's going to happen with Antichrist. Over his people, over his... Now, therefore, heed, verse 1, the voice of the word of the Lord. Verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish what Amalek did to Israel, how he laid a wait for him on the way when he came from Egypt. Verse 3, now go and attack Amalek. Notice what God says. That's what I want you to compare here. Ego that Saul has in him and what God is saying. How he laid way, um, sorry, verse 3, and destroy all that they have and do not spare them. That's the mandate. That's the mandate for you. Why are you sitting there and entertaining the lusts of your flesh? Do not spare it. Don't play around with it. You know, listen, Jesus was tempted in every point like we are. Now, temptation, when a temptation comes, it, to do anything from the it comes because of the desire that comes up but just because you tempted and you experience a temptation you haven't sinned it's when you decide to yield to what came up only then you're going to experience because suddenly you're saying okay I'm, 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 I'm now committing to what I'm feeling and I want to go with it so Jesus was tempted so do not spare them, but kill both women and men, infant and nursing child, oxen, sheep, and camel and donkeys. So this is the mandate. God has told you the same about the lusts of your flesh. Exactly the same. So what happens? Saul gathers the people together and numbers them in Telaim, 200,000. Now, why? I told you last week, um, a king was not allowed to do that only when they took census simply to be able to see um, who is going to fight. That's it. But not when you're going towards war so that you can keep trusting God. Psalm 20 verse 7 is God wanted the king specifically to trust him. That's why he went there. Let's go to verse 10. Also, we're going to take a, a bit more time. So, um, well, verse 9, it says, uh, Saul and the people spared Agag the king. They spared him. And the best of the sheep, the oxen, fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. Unwilling. Why? Because of greed. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Aha. The good ones, we want them. The worthless, we don't want them. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, 
I, he says, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel, in verse 12, rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told to Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel. Listen to this. And indeed, he set up a monument for himself. He goes to Carmel. In other words, God gave him the mandate. He didn't fulfill the entire thing, but then he's so proud of what happens, and he goes and he puts a monument for himself. I've done this. Hey, do we do that? Verse um, 13, Samuel went to Saul and he goes all the way down and he says, listen, I've told you to do this and you didn't do it. So God is really displeasing. Look at verse 17. So Samuel said, when you were little in your eyes, were you not head of the tribe of Israel? When you were little in your eyes, The minute he says you became a king, the minute you became the CEO, the minute you became the captain, the minute that you experience uh, the body that you've always wanted, the minute. Notice. And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission. Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoils and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Notice ego. Watch this now. That's what I wanted to come to. Um. And gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek, I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Notice, blame shifting. Ego doesn't want to take responsibility. But the people took off the plumber. Not me, the people, while they were there. What do you want me to do? Sheep and oxen and the best of the things which could have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. By the way, <laughs> we're bringing them back the best. We're going to give it to you, Lord. Why are you crying? What's your problem? You see, ego only looks about self. But God was looking every single nation today that is against Israel came because of this. What? Yeah. Every single nation today that is against Israel, against Israel, right around that, Iran, all of those, came and they are fighting and destroying and there are thorns in their sight, the side, sorry, because of this year. Because they did not destroy. And by the way, the Amalekites had Nephilim seed in them. That's why God wanted them all out. Then Samuel said, and I'm finishing with this, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now you'll understand this verse as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of the ram. For rebellion, rebellion. Rebellion of what? Well, my ego rebels against God and who he says he is, is as the sin of witchcraft. You know, witchcraft means to change something that is in the core. That's what it means. What do I change in my core? Well, I'm going to serve me rather than serve God. 
and stubbornness, iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also rejected you as king. Look at verse 25, and I'm closing now. Therefore, please pardon my sin and return with man that I might worship the Lord. But Samuel said, I will not return with you. You know what he says? Still, ego says, I'm fearing people. What are they going to say? Here I'm dying, I'm destroying my life, the whole nation. I have corrupted everything. But, you know, what are the people going to say? I've got to preserve this. Hey, do some presidents come to your mind? Maybe. <laughs> hey, doesn't matter about anything else. It matters about me. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for opening up for us to understand the story of Saul, to understand where he came from and what destroyed him. We repent in our hearts, Lord. We change our minds and we believe only who you are and we're going to submit to who you are because you are the only source of our liberating life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for each and every person here and whoever is watching on the internet. Thank you that there will always be hope in their hearts that you are a good God. Thank you, Father. Is there anybody here today who wants to surrender himself, give himself over to God because of what you heard? Just lift your hand up. If there's anyone. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. You don't have to come up front. Who wants to make Jesus their Lord? I mean, you're saying, no, no, but I have made him Lord. No, no. You might have made him Lord just to be able to get your salvation. Is there anyone here who hasn't made Jesus their Savior? Just put up your hand. I'm not, you know, just want to know. Anyone? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. If you have made that commitment in your heart today to be able to follow him as your Lord, and Lord, please, you, you, you need to see it as something that is not just a master, a slave driver. No. All he wants to do is for you to experience the abundant life that he bought from you. That's why he says, please, heed my voice. Make me Lord. Make me your master, but in a good sense. Just say that in your heart. I surrender to you, Lord. I surrender. Because if I, as I've been a master of my life, it brought me to total ruin in a lot of areas of my life. So I surrender to you. I will heed your word. I will go search your word and find what you have to say. And I will follow you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Great. Praise God. God is good. Man, I tell you, I think Didi is a psychologist and he didn't tell us. Because when I heard the first two, <laughs> the first two lessons uh, of the Sunday of being... Um, uh, of ego you've been studying on the side I know you <laughs> oh man and he's done such an amazing job I've learned so much from uh, this satan eh? hey, man we, we took him to bits by the way I didn't tell you that um, Sheldon when you made uh, you know what about resisting the devil 
and we will definitely tackle it next week uh, on, on, on Wednesday. But the word resist in the, in the Greek means to stand in opposition. So in the Greek is this picture. When you decide to go north, you're resisting south. That's it. So when you now are going south, you're resisting north. That's all it is in the Greek. You see, only in the Old Testament when Satan was not defeated, the Bible says you must rebuke him. And rebuke him means you, yes, have to tell him what to do. But in the new covenant, because he's already been defeated, you just follow God. That's why he says, submit to the devil. I mean, submit to God and you resist the <laughs> And you resist the devil. Well, a lot of us do that. <laughs> hey, and you're free. So it's to stand against. The same word is used in Matthew 5 with Jesus. He says, resist evil. Which means don't go and fight evil. Because remember, anything you fight is going to become greater in you. It's going to magnify in you. So I don't resist evil. I don't go and fight abortion. I'm, I'm not for it, but I'm not fighting. I'm pro-life. You're nothing against people. You're not against poverty. Go out and work and suddenly you'll see prosperity. So all these things against don't work. Forget it. What liberals are teaching us. We are not against anything. We pro. And automatically we're resisting it. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's go have our coffee. Woohoo!